Hello, everyone. My name is Suki Thompson. Welcome to Reset, the podcast, a place for you to get some inspiration and advice to help you live a more fulfilling work life. I do hope that your journey to feel more connected, more inspired, just a bit more energized starts here. Take a moment now with me to reset. Today I chat to Dr. Yvonne Thompson, CBE. Yvonne is the founder of the powerful women's network, Wintrade Global and was the founder of Choice Radio, the first black radio commercial station. For a woman with such an impressive CV, it's no surprise that we managed to cover a whole host of fascinating topics, from how she deals with uncertainty to the importance of creating diverse and inclusive cultures. During our time together, Yvonne describes the beautiful constraint that often leads her to being more creative, more passionate, and with even more purpose. And that constraint is time. Yvonne loves a deadline. She also loves the London Marathon, having run to herself. In the last few minutes of our chat, Yvonne describes the reset she is going through in her fitness regime. The challenges she faced during lockdown will be very familiar to so many of us. Yvonne Thompson, how lovely to see you today. Great to see you. Always a pleasure to see you, Suki. Well, well, we are sisters from another mister, aren't we? Oh, we certainly are. That's our (laughs) in-joke. That is our in-joke because when you look at us, you know that uh, it would be an interesting thing to do. Um, But uh, you are, you know, you're just such an amazing entrepreneur, entrepreneur. leader inspirational leader that I've spent time getting to know over the last few years and we've done quite a few things together so we're Ah. going to talk today about um you know entrepreneurism because I think that's something that you're very much at the forefront of um diversity and inclusion as a black woman you've done some amazing firsts and you're helping all sorts of other women do brilliant things as well Um, but also talk a little bit about how um, well-being performance has been important to you and, and and particularly purpose so those are the things we're going to be talking about yeah. can we start with with you where, where where did you grow up well I grew up in London but I'm originally from South America in uh, Guyana in South America and um, you know I, I usually tell the story the fact that my parents were invited by the Queen to come and rebuild the motherland because at that point we were still part of the Commonwealth. So of course my parents who I call real entrepreneurs because what they did took guts to pick up six kids and move to London not knowing anybody, not really knowing the culture even though we speak English because I'm from British Guyana. In fact there are three Guyanas, French, Dutch and English Um, We're from British Guyana, so we spoke English, but with a very, very, very different accent. So it almost sounds like another language if you're not used to the dialect. So, um, yeah, we moved here. My parents, as I said, didn't know anybody, but found work. Um, My dad was a police 
um, something high in the police in Guyana, I can't remember. But, but when he came here, of course, he couldn't get work in the police force because they just weren't taking black people. And um, so he became a plumber's mate in um, St. Thomas's Hospital. And unlike now, that was a job for life. So in many ways, that was a good move because from the time he arrived here to the time he retired, um, that was his work. And I think it was for well over 30 years. I can't remember how long. Um, But, you know, we, we are the typical immigrant family arriving with probably one bag each. Um, And I always say my parents, excuse me, my parents had the extra luggage or baggage, if you want to call it, because for me, they carried a backpack of dreams for each of their children. Um, And in a way, that is one of the heaviest burdens to carry. Um, That's interesting you say that, actually, that it's a heavy burden to carry. Because, you know, I love in my book, Let's Reset, you talk about your parents and actually, you know, the just the promise and the yeah. support that they had for you. Yeah. But I hadn't thought about that actually also being, you know, that's quite a challenge, isn't it? Has, has that no, it, been what has motivated you to succeed and do so much? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and especially when you've got six of them, <laughs> you know, six children to, to think about and to care for. I mean, my, my mother was a real, we called her the domestic, um, the domestic engineer because she en- engineered everything around the house for children her husband um and quite honestly sometimes you know I quite often say that you know my mother didn't have six children she had seven because sometimes that could well include my dad (laughs) (laughs) and where were you in the six oh I am the youngest of the six oh are you oh that's interesting and how would your siblings describe you (gasps) I think they would Describe me as challenging, as entrepreneurial, as determined, but I always am very competitive. And I think I'm very competitive because I was always the last to be consulted because I was the youngest, you know, and I wanted to feel important and I wanted to do what my elders did and I wanted this and I wanted that Um, to the point where my sister was um, uh, a nurse. So I wanted to be a doctor and the story and the story around that, I never quite made it to be a medical doctor, but I did, (laughs) you know what I'm going to say, but I am a doctor twice over. I have two honorary doctorates. It's not within the medical field, but you know, I am quite often called doctor, doctor, Yvonne Thompson. Doctor, doctor, that's lovely. Doctor, doctor, commander, if we want to go a little bit further. Wow. Yvonne yes of course of course because you you are a commander of the British Empire which is a very um you know it's it's a wonderful thing to be given I guess um, what did that actually what did that feel like How, do you did you get the letter what happens oh gosh well, well I, you know all of my stories seem to be quite funny because um when the I, I knew nothing about the honor system at all uh, at the time um it's now 17 or 18 years ago, 2003, whatever that is, wow. 18 years ago, my gosh. Yes, 18 years ago, June, actually. Um, so I knew nothing about that. And then um, I was in America and 
at the time, one of my staff called me and said, oh, you've got this letter from a brown envelope from the cabinet office. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, what is it? You know, what have I done wrong? Looks too official. So I said, we'll open it. And they opened it. And it was this beautifully worded letter um, from the prime minister saying um, the queen has asked me, um, no, the queen is minded to present you with an honour of the commander of the British Empire, whatever the wording is, a CBE, and has asked me to find out whether you are minded to accept. It's beautifully worded. Wonderful. And, um, and I said, I said what, what's that? What's that? I'd heard, of a, I'd heard of an OBE, but not a right. CBE. So there's me in America so, oh, I don't want, I don't want a CBE, I want an OBE. <laughs> <laughs> as, as many people do, as many people do. And um, so I thought to myself, you know, and I thought, oh, how dare they? How, and there's me getting on, on my high horse, not even knowing what not it was really. in the first place. And then at that time, Google had just come in. So I thought, oh, okay, let me Google it. Somebody said to me, I spoke to someone about it. And he said, oh, why don't you Google it? I said, what's Google? Anyway, it told me what Google was. And of course, CBE is higher than one, higher than an OBE. And I thought, oh, oh, yes, yes. I said, well, when I come back, I will write to the prime minister and, and tell him to let the queen know that, yes, I am minded to accept. Oh, <laughs> so I did. So and I did. you got that because um, I guess at that time you were, you founded a, a black radio station, didn't you? I mean, you did all sorts of things, but tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. The, the radio station Choice FM. Uh, and I mean, I didn't do it all on my own. I was, I was, Sometimes I felt like I was on my own because I was the only female on a board of 10. Gosh. Um, Gosh. And quite honestly, even though it was a black radio station, again, I always say that I feel like I was a minority within a minority situation because being the only woman, it was hard to be taken seriously. It was hard to have your voice heard. You know, there's just so many things because, of course, the men knew it all. Um, and uh, so for, I don't know, 15 years, it was a struggle. I mean, it did get better, but certainly at first it was a bit of a struggle. Um, and, yeah, um, Choice FM was born. It was the first legal 24-hour black radio station. After 15 years, we sold it to Capital Radio, which is now global. Um, but... Choice of them can now be heard in its um, metamorphosized version of Capital Extra. So still very much black music. Um, obviously, things have changed a lot. Music has changed a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was great times. I felt that Choice of them led the way in so many ways because until we launched Choice of them, it was very difficult to find black music on mainstream radio stations. Um, you know, there was always this little uh, one hour at 10 o'clock on, on Capital Radio, uh, 11 o'clock, excuse me, 11 o'clock, Greg Edwards. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping he's still around. He was the master of soul at 11 o'clock until 12 or until one on a Sunday night. So if you were desperate to hear some 
of your own soul music, you'd be waiting up and, you know, recording, um, you know, as he was playing. But it was great times. Um, and I do think the Choice FM changed a lot as far as um, culture and diversity is, is concerned, because I think that was the kind of the vanguard of the whole <clears throat> cultural change. It was really interesting because when we did what they call RAJAR, which is the research around yes. radio <clears throat> to see who's listening, where they're listening, when you, well, you know, the whole research thing. Yeah. Um, it, it would be done by something called diaries being put through various people's doors. Um, and certainly within South London, there was almost, there was always more young white people listening to choice of them probably just because of the sheer numbers interesting yeah sheer numbers and I think that was one of the reasons that uh companies such as um Capital Radio at the time was interested in buying out choice FM because they realized that the youngsters of the UK were actually listening to more yeah. black music than they were pop music yeah which is it's amazing isn't it and and you know, fascinating that at that time there just wasn't that accessibility to black music, yeah. um, and and clearly, you know, it, it's been a, it's been a theme. You as a as a black woman, you've done a lot to promote equality and yeah. and just and just inclusion and, and get people to understand. I guess um, I'm always fascinated by the book that you. I mean, you've done a number of publications, but <laughs> the book which was the Seven Traits of Highly Successful Women on Boards. Mm. Um, and, and you talked to a lot of leaders, but yeah. you came up with, you know, these seven traits, particularly, again, at a time when people were only just beginning to think about, there was a lot of conversation about, oh, it's really important to get women on boards, but there really weren't that many women on boards. There um, weren't, there weren't, um, and there still isn't, and there not comparatively, enough. and certainly not at the pinnacle of you know, organisations and corporations and the FTSE 100, which is yeah. where that whole campaign really was aimed at and uh, really started. And of course, with the um, the advent, if you like, of organisations such as the 30% Club, um, you know, that started to change. And I was really hoping with, the, with that change, more and more women would have access to the boardrooms at the top of industry. And of course, I was hoping that it would be opened up more, to more diversity. Mm. But that has never happened. Um, and whilst there are more women on boards, it's usually what people refer to as the golden petticoats or the marzipan layer, as all these different you know, the things, names that they have, but the golden petticoats are because they they are either a relative, uh, a friend, a girlfriend, or they know somebody already there. So they get through. And what tends to happen, whilst there are probably more places or more representation on boards, there are not more women on boards because you're shaking your head. Yeah, because, <laughs> you know what because I'm going to say. Yeah, it's the same women and they're just yeah, on the boards. 
Exactly. That's what's happened. Exactly. exactly. You just see the same faces. Exactly. Yeah, that's 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 really interesting. Um, I think then the next, well, we, we met because we both went on to the Women's Equality Party yeah. um, onto their committee, actually. And yeah. I think for me, that was a very interesting moment of time. And meeting you was such a lovely part of that. Um, I did when I was at Oyster Catchers, uh, an event where we were just talking about actually the, the gender pay gap, um, mm-hmm. just still the challenge for women in yeah. business. Um, and and then I, I met the, the Women's Equality Party, and I think for me it opened my eyes not just to a, a lot of the challenges that women are experiencing in the UK, but just the huge amount of challenges and issues that are way beyond what I see in my kind of everyday, either the way I live or the way I work. Mm-hmm. Um, what what have you found from that experience? What what drove you to get involved with them? Well, I, you know, I was really, you know, what usually gets me involved, uh, you know, passionate, being passionate about equality and diversity. But for me, specifically with the inter, intersectionality of race, because it's great having, you know, there's, there's lots of people or lots of boards or lots of organisations that can say that they are diverse, but it's only gender diverse. It's not race diverse. Um, And and that is the next big step change that needs to happen. And that's where I'm always pushing, um, you know, at the gates, at the doors. Uh, Sometimes, you know, people tell me I sound like a cracked record, but until until that tune has been changed, I will carry on being that cracked record or whatever broken record or whatever yes. it is they say. Um, but I mean, I I was really on board with all of their visions, their missions, their objectives. But something that I found quite um, difficult to work with was was in a way the the expectations of delivery uh, and I, I can't think of a more I can't think of a, of another phrase or mm-hmm. saying it but when I I saw how much was expected to be delivered on so little yeah. it was so hard um, and you know we both know um, the person that was leading it at the time uh was it it was it was not easy it was a it was brutal in some cases I think in some ways uh and you know at one point there was a discussion as to whether I was interested in taking up the post after she left but actually having seen what happened there was no way it's too Mm. hard it's too hard it is very hard isn't it and have you ever thought about going more specifically into politics has that been something that has has captured your imagination well a lot of people are quite often I haven't been asked recently probably because we've been in lockdown but quite you know quite often people say oh why aren't you doing that why aren't you doing that why aren't you doing that you should do that Uh, I don't I I am going back to my 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 
passion for being a doctor. I'm more of the person behind the people that care for the people in front. That's what PR people in PR do. That's what I've been doing. That's what I'm that's what I'm good at. Um, I've got to say it's only in the last few years that I've managed to kind of strip off my imposter syndrome and even start talking on camera and talking to people like you. So um and, and again at my age, it's it's too it's too late. I think politics is now getting younger and younger. And I think it's a young person's, um, I wouldn't say game, but it's a young person's world now. Um, and I think I, I'm, I'm a little bit past that. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think, and I, I think you're right. I think it's something to be in, perhaps when you're younger, exactly. in a different time. But I think, you know, you've done uh, in business and as an entrepreneur, a lot of things to make a big significant change. So, um, and I think then that, I mean, that brings us into Wintrade, which is again, another area that let's reset and Wintrade apartment for a number of years. I was still for me, um, you know, when I was awarded one of your awards for entrepreneurship, it's very special. I find it, you know, for two reasons. One, because the women involved in Wintrade that are very much global, a lot of brilliant black ethnic minority background women that I would never come across mm. their warmth their breadth their understanding but also you do some fabulous events particularly the event at the house of laws that's what we did you know the beautiful afternoon tea um, <laughs> you have amazing connections but you bring these people together and then obviously the awards mm. how did how did Wintrade come about well, in, in many ways, it came out of the need to, for me to, to network and know there, there are, or there were at the time, because we're now 24 years old. Next year, we'll be celebrating our 25th anniversary. 25. Oh, wow. Yes. Good. Yes. So I will be, I'll, I'll be using your podcast to say if there are any sponsors out there that would like to, to sponsor yeah. a 25-year-old, we're up for talking. Um, so we've been around uh, for quite some time, a lot longer than a, some, many of these women's networks that have just popped up here and popped up there. Um, so I think we've proven our track record. Um you know, I didn't expect that we'd still be around 24, 25 years later. And there's obviously still very much an appetite for women's networks. When I started it, I started it specifically for black women in business, because 25 years ago, there were no black women. We were the first black women in business network to the point where when we did our first event, all of a sudden we got women coming from Portugal, from France, from Germany, um, from a lot of the European countries. And um, it, it was amazing because, you know, you 25 years ago, even though you, if you think about it logically, they, they must have been there, but we just were not connected. We were just not connected and we are now. But I think for me, the most the most, uh, not necessarily valuable, but the most important change for me as a equality and diversity advocate is that if we as black women or women of color are expecting 
um, to be let into and invited into mainstream and white networks, it should work the other way around as well, mm. which is why I changed my European Federation of Black Women Business Owners network branding and name to win trade, simply women in trade. Because for me, if you're in business, you better be trading, otherwise you're not in business. Yes. So win trade and win trade global. So um, again, it's important for me to have everybody, just like in the boardrooms, have everybody sitting around that table. So everybody gets the same equal opportunity, equal opportunity to learn, to be informed, to get contracts, to get info, whatever it is at the same time. Um, and also it's important for black and white women to be sitting around the table so we can see and know and understand each other's challenges. And we will realize that more or less the challenges are the same. Um, but I would say, and I would say, being a woman of color, we have an additional layer of challenge. Because, well, here, put it this way, this part of the, the world, if, we, if I was in Guyana, dare I say, it would have been the other way around. But being in the UK, um, Europe, and even America, you know, being a woman of color gives you an additional hurdle to get over, if you like, um, because, you, you know, you can't hide it's that, you know, race is not something you can hide. You can hide your religion. You can hide, not that you want to, you can hide your, um, uh, you know, your sexual orientation. You can hide lots of things, but you cannot hide your colour. No, no, okay. no, absolutely. And I think actually hearing you speak about it in that way, when, um, you know, the terrible challenges, particularly that we saw during lockdown, um, mm -hmm. the impact and, the, and the, the growing focus on Black Lives Matter. And I think you, Karen Blackett, a number of very high profile women and some men in our industry talked very openly about some of the challenges, but also you mentioned, and it really resonated with me, you know, we're kind of fed up of being everyone's only black friend. <laughs> and, and actually, if it wasn't for you and Karen, who have introduced me to lots and, and a little bit that the Women's Equality Party actually, I would know very, very few black people. And, right. and actually for me, that's what's been a real benefit of knowing you, of Wintrade, of doing my book. You know, um, I, I don't feel I know enough, but I felt I knew enough to be able to have the conversation and to have people to help. Um, know the right paths to navigate I think um, but it is you know, I feel like we are making a little more headway way um, certainly as we're putting in well-being and performance programs into businesses we're looking at diversity and inclusion increasingly what sort of things are you seeing where business is getting really good traction on really thinking about how they make diversity and inclusion something that becomes part of their culture not just a tick box yeah well I think first and foremost um 
one of the most important things to do is do what you're doing now. Talk about it. Become comfortable with that uncomfortable conversation. Become comfortable with the difficult dialogue because it has to be in order to get, you know, it's almost it's almost like a, a, a young woman or young, a young person trying to find a way of having their first sexual conversation with their parents. You know, it's really difficult, but you find a way. You do find a way. Um, and I think the more that we talk about it, the more relaxed, the more uh, easier it is to, to come up in conversation, the further we will get. Um, I can't say that I would look at any one company and say they are the kite mark standard for equality and diversity. But what I do know is that a lot more companies are having those conversations, um, are looking at ways in which to be more inclusive, um, are looking at ways to, you know, to be um, more open, whether it's through, um, you know, I, I hate to say PS, sorry, CSR, um, you know, programs or yeah. whatever, because I don't think corporate social responsibility really works unless the person who is heading it has what I called PSR, which is personal social responsibility. It would never work because if you've got somebody who is doing it because it's a job and they're expected to do it, it's not going to work. No. If they've got that personal understanding, and this is where the whole dialogue thing comes in, the understanding, um, the passion to know more, to relate more, to understand more, then, um, then there's good progress. Yeah, yeah. And I think part of it is that um, certainly the businesses that I've spoken to, and, and even ourselves, we've got a an intern actually who's going to stay on with us, which we're very pleased about. Saint um, has been with us for the summer. And, you know, for me, I, I really wanted somebody from a, a different ethnic background to come and work with us. Um, but it's quite difficult to find the right places to go to begin with, because my normal you know, where I would go for the grads that I've had or the undergrads I've had for the last 15 years, there's a sort of network that I've used. And that obviously isn't going to work. So, you know, actually using friends to help me find a shortlist for Bo to interview them was really helpful. And Saint has been, you know, one, he's very talented, um, but also he's really giving us a very different perspective in a very small business, which is which is great. And, you know, as you know, we work with a number of people that you've introduced us to at a very senior level. Um, so I think actually broadening that uh, that reach is important. How can businesses look outside to bring people in what kind of things can they do to do that oh there's so many more you know um i i still get frustrated when i hear people say and, and it's the phrase that's still been used which i'm amazed at hard to reach communities or yeah. hard to, you it's know horrible isn't it it really is <laughs> it really is i mean all you have to do is really, you know, get on the internet. There's so, this, you know, the, the internet obviously has revolutionized, I think, um, so many things. Um, 
and it's taken us so past all the gatekeepers. All you have to do is get on the internet or get on your computer and type into Google or whichever search engine you use, um, um, ethnic minority graduate organization, and a whole list will come up. A whole list will come up. Mm. And you just go through it and decide, you know, which one is either the closest to you or looks most most in tune with what you're doing. Um, you know, one that, that I'm very close to, and that's quite close to my heart, is the Alito Foundation, which is headed by um, Sakena Alisa, who is the Lord Lieutenant for Greater London. Um, uh, I was on that board. I've stepped down, but I'm still very, very close working with them. In fact, um, you know, I've had a, another email from one of them <laughs> saying, oh, can you mentor me or when can we meet? And so I'm still very much involved with that and still happy to be. But there are many and there are some great people and there are even young graduates who have started up their own um, graduate uh, recruitment or representation or whatever it is, um, organisation. Um, there's Generation Success. There is, um, what's it, Young Black Grads. I mean, there's quite a few. There's yeah. quite a few. Yeah, so the key is, you know, go out and go out and look. Go out. And yeah, look. absolutely. Um, and then I think the other piece about when when you've got um, a group of people from different backgrounds in business, that piece around making them feel inclusive. And I think this is something that um, I felt over the years when I was, you know, a bit like you. I was sort of not the first, but I was the first or the second female along. But there was still only one or two of us, not a group. To really feel included, you need to not be the sole voice. You need to have other voices around. Um, and one of the businesses that I've been working with has put in a brilliant um, reverse mentor program for the younger um, people from different backgrounds to, to mentor the uh, other more senior people in the business who are typically white, typically still quite male in this instance. Um, but actually what was interesting was somebody else pointed to me, uh, yeah, that's great, but those are the individuals in the business that are the most pressed for time, that have got the biggest challenges, that, you know, it's a really difficult, demanding job, and they're trying to work against, as you said, all the, all the discrimination that they might have had. Now we're layering extra things on them to mm -hmm. try and create inclusive environments. So I just wondered about your point of view about the whole is reverse mentoring a good thing to do? Are there other things that we can do to help those voices within businesses be heard, but also create those more inclusive environments once they're in? Well, do you know, I think reverse mentoring can be a good thing to do, um, but there are other things you can do. I mean, and, and now you can do reverse mentoring, especially now everything's done on Zoom, you can do reverse mentoring from the comfort of your own armchair. And yes, it might mean kind of etching into your own personal space a little bit, but, um, you know, it doesn't have to be a daily, a weekly, I would say it doesn't even have to be a monthly thing. Um, just it, what it needs to be is a quality thing. It needs to be yes. quality, not quantity. Um, and if the, the mentee, and the men, if the mentee is a good mentee and the mentor is a good mentor, 
you you know an hour once a quarter would probably be more than sufficient and you know what is that that is probably a drink in the pub one lunchtime or something do you know what I mean so um you know it doesn't have to be official it doesn't have to be structured and in fact the less structured it is probably the better because where are most of the best deals done yeah 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 exactly you want to have the conversation or on the golf or or wherever you know the hairdresser yeah absolutely (laughs) absolutely yeah yeah. um but but can I just also say that um the other thing for me reverse mentoring really does work both ways because I feel that the mentee has to be able to give back such good quality um, to whoever's mentoring them because when people ask me to mentor them I expect them to come and say oh well this is what I might be able to do for you I might be able to teach you this I might be able to introduce you here so that's the rather than just giving 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 it needs to be give and take from both sides I think and that's when it really works yes and I agree and 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 it can at all levels work in a give and take way um you know we know in our seven needs of well-being and performance that purpose is you know such a key driver of our own well-being of how well we perform you know for me you have a massive sense of purpose that kind of runs through you mm-hmm. um you know we've tap- captured some of that a little bit but I, I just wondered whether you'd articulate how it how it is for you what what do you what do you wake up in the morning how does that sense of purpose articulate inside your head well I think my sense of purpose comes as much from passion as anything else because I'm passionate about what it is I do I'm passionate I'm eager to get up and you know do my next webinar or meet my next member or hear about you know what's happening in the space of um you know equality and diversity I I get I was going to say I get upset but it's passion I guess or, or I'm I'm not sure um you know, when I hear things are not equal, because I know what it's like to be, uh, you know, on the on the downside of equality, if you like. I mean, yeah. I can't think of the right words right now. But um, so and I don't want anybody to feel that way. I want to see that everybody has equal opportunity, um, equal access. Um, you know, I'm currently doing some work with the new minister. Well, I say he's new. I think he started back in March or so, um, Paul Scully. And Mm -hmm. again, you know, I'm discussing things with Bayes now, the business department government um, around small business and access for ethnic minorities. More or less the same sort of things that I discussed when Labour was in. Yeah. You know, and it's just going round in a circle and I'm trying to find a way to break out of that circle so that in the next administration, whether it's conservative, whatever it is, or or Labour, that we're not, we're talking about progress the way forward rather than 
talking about what happened and how can we fix that and you know before you get to going forward because each of them have a very limited amount of time in which to make a difference and that's the other thing I don't think any of them are in post long enough to set things in motion and get things going in the right direction because with the change of administration or the change of government comes a change of departments and out goes the baby with that bath water and then they start all over again yes which is which is what we see in business as well I think and you know I think the businesses that are really making a difference are the ones that are putting proper programs in they're integrating them together and they're just doing something they're making some action with a strategy behind it rather than just a bunch of tactical stuff and tick boxes um the other seven need that I'm very interested in is around security you know we know that uh, on the whole people that feel secure can perform better that um but also being able to to live with a lack of security can make us much more resilient um you've been someone who I think is amazingly resilient you've done so many resets of your life you've done you know you've been a very difficult demanding you know we've talked some about this now and and it's something I think particularly entrepreneurs experience all the time this sort of security not security and how do you deal with it um I just wondered how, how have you dealt with it how do you deal with that I guess combination of knowing and not knowing well it's a I was gonna say it's a terrible thing but is it a terrible thing um one of my one of my mottos is or credos if you like if that's the right word is nothing concentrates the mind like a hanging oh nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh okay tell me about that nothing concentrates the mind like a hanging and for me that's when I'm at my most creative I I I know it's not probably not the right thing it's not the right thing for some people but when I know that I am close to a deadline when I know that um you know there is something fast approaching that I have to deal with that's when I get at my most creative. It's almost like that's when I find my solutions to, to everything. It's almost like the universe conspires to make me, you know, to make things happen for me because I'm pushing so much positive energy and adrenaline out there yeah. that it just has to happen. And it usually does. And I hate to say it, it's usually like last minute, which is not a good thing. I mean, I'm having conversations. Well, you know, Sydney, my daughter. I do. Yeah. So, uh, and she'll probably slap my wrist for saying this, but Sydney has lived in Germany for over 20 years now. And she is very German. Everything is, you know, methodical and timed and planned. And she gets very upset with me because, you know, I'm at my most creative when I know it's got to happen. Um, So even this morning, she was slapping my wrist and saying, well, what are you doing? So, (laughs) but um, yeah, I think that, I think for me, uh, sorry, remind me of the question. I've lost the question because I've gone off track. All right, security. So how do you, as an entrepreneur, deal with... Security, Um, insecurity. Well, yeah, I mean, and for me, the insecurity, again, is when I'm at my most 
creative. Um, but you know, I, I'm a I'm a fighter, and I. It's like if if your back is against the wall and you've got to find a solution for something, um, that, that that's I can't explain it other than that is when things happen to me. Yeah, yeah, and and then you know creativity that's been a very big part of you know you your life the kind mm-hmm. of person you are. Um, where does that come from? How do you and how do you kind of keep instilling that sense of creativity? Um, as I said, it's it, that goes back to purpose. Um, uh, I again, you know, Patrick will tell you I'm a very solutions orientated person. And if there is, if there's a problem, 99.9%, I will find the solution for it. Um, And sometimes it's a creative solution. (laughs) Um, And and I think that's where my problem solving, my creativity, all the things, my passion, my purpose, all of those things come to me um, when I know that there is you know, a deadline fast approaching. It's not the way to work, but that's how I work. You know what? It's the way you work. It's the way you work. And then just finally, um, you know, we've talked a lot about well-being and performance and, you know, you have boundless energy. You're very much a kind of always on person, but you have, I always think you have a great sense of presence and calm even though you do this sort of stuff last minute I love you know just you always have that sort of terribly elegant and calmness what do you do to look after your mental and physical well-being I well until lockdown I was an avid um gym goer I would swim I would jog I would walk a lot I think I've told you I've done two London marathons and I was getting ready to do a third Um, but I've got to say that I now have to wind myself back up into that whole uh, frame of mind for exercise because sitting at my desk kind of took over my whole my whole whatever and um uh, yeah, I now have to kind of reset. There you go. Yes. I have reset. to reset for sure. Yeah, yeah. My my tip for, well, myself, but others, is to put your gym kit at the bottom of your bed if you do exercise first in the morning so you have to step over it. <laughs> That's a good one. You know, to is... do that. And if you don't exercise first thing, put it into your diary and put an alarm on your phone. So you've got all these triggers because otherwise it's just really hard, isn't it? It really is. It really is. But I'm getting there. I mean, I think I've put on a couple of COVID kilos, I think about four or five, which, yeah, is not great, but it's not too bad. I've seen a lot worse. Yeah. And do you know what? It'll go. We're, we're getting out and about much more now, aren't we? Absolutely. And, um, you know, and I think spending time having done some things that we've loved, pushing new boundaries, wind traders, you know, just expanded so much and has done so much for women. globally. And, and thank you. Thank you for being part of it and really supporting us. I mean, the summit was amazing. Uh, the two day summit was absolutely amazing. And you played a great part in that. Thank you. 
and um, the awards, I mean, people are still buzzing over that, you know, what, five or six weeks later, um, yeah. which has been great. And I think it just, it just showed that certainly our members just needed a boost and they really got a boost and they've yeah. given, us the, given us a boost. Yeah, so which is it worked well. Brilliant. Well, you know, Yvonne, sister from another mister. I couldn't ask <laughs> for a better sister from another mister. Um, lovely to talk to you today. Thank you for sharing some of your stories, some of your passion, um, the brilliant things that you've done. And I know you will continue to do. Uh, but, you know, we have worked together. But yeah. what I also love is the friendship that we have. Oh, and sure. what we give to each other. So thank you very much for that, Yvonne. No, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed Reset the Podcast, I'd love it if you would forward it to your work colleagues, friends and family. Reset the Podcast is a Let's Reset and Advertising Week global production. Executive producer is Richard Larson. With me, Suki Thompson. Thanks to our sponsor, Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits and voiceover artist, Talitha Penny. Music provided by Audio Network.